Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free Bereaved Parent Retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 127, which is a continuation of my conversation with Leslie Harder. Leslie joined me to record this episode on the occasion of what would have been her son William's 39th birthday, and we'll be discussing that in a little more detail today. Leslie is the author of three books, Selah, 60 Moments with the Master, Joy in the Morning, Viewing the Rainbow from the Veil of Tears, and Morning Devotions, Grieving God's Way. We'll be sharing a wide-ranging conversation today of issues we face as bereaved parents, including a discussion of how Leslie has confidence that William is in heaven. We will pick up the story right where we left off last week. So people often feel awkward around a parent that has lost a child because they just don't know what to say. And as I was kind of reading through your book, you mentioned some of those things. And uh, right after your first Christmas without William, somebody, you ran into them in the store or somewhere and they said, oh, did you have a nice Christmas? (laughs) And I just can't believe anyone would say that to you. But actually, I do believe it because people say things like that sometimes without thinking. So how have you dealt with some of those maybe less appropriate things that people have said to you? And what are some of the most helpful things that people have said or done on your grief journey? Well, to be fair, the person who asked me if I'd had a nice Christmas didn't actually know that William had died. And I I, I think I shared that in the book that I abruptly spit it out before I could think. And I thought, oh, that felt so bad. And I went back and apologized because it it, it wasn't in in that instance, it wasn't her fault. But I have heard Scott's will. Mm -hmm. um, I, you and and I had I, I know another mother. It, it was not me, but it was another bereaved mother who lost her child suddenly and was told, "I'm so sorry. I know exactly how you feel. My 12 year old cat just died." Yeah. Mm. Uh, it. it I, I've tried to be uh, allow grace because I've been there. I've been the person who didn't know what to say and probably popped out with something less than helpful. And so I try to remember the sentiment behind the words. It's the thought that counts. The the words, you kind of let them roll off your back. Um, But it is the thought that counts. It's interesting. um, It it didn't happen with William. It happened after my stepdaughter passed. We, We got together with some friends and they were bemoaning the loss of pets. And, oh, their heart was just so broken. And then all of a sudden I hear crickets. And I realized that they themselves felt clumsy because of something that they'd said. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't take offense. I mean, I, I wasn't even thinking in that vein, but I've been there. I've, I've been the one who said something that wished I could just swallow it back down my throat and find something else to to comment about. Um, As far as helpful things. And and I've told people because people have asked me before, you know, I don't know what to say. And, and I've, 
especially when they're about to confront somebody else's loss. And I've told them, I'm so sorry. I love you. I don't know what to say. I said, that's more helpful than anything because we know you don't know what to say. And, and we, you know, and knowing that, that you're going to love us through this, cause we're going to make lots of boo-boos and probably say some things we shouldn't. And, uh, that that's what I found the most helpful. And one of the girls who came to the house, she looked at me and she said, she said, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know. She said, when I pray for you, all I can pray is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that was more helpful than a ton of other words that she could have said trying to encourage me. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. That means a lot when somebody says something like that. So I think that all of us who have lost a child have a very just distinct dividing line in our lives of before and after. So talk about the before Leslie and now the after Leslie. I, I'm an introvert by nature. Um, I generally, I'm a wallflower and I don't say that as, as a, as a rude thing. I'm just, I, I prefer to be in the background of things. I prefer to be the grease, not the wheel, but I would get little things would rattle me. Inconsequential things would, would, would rattle me. Would I would be upset and, and things like that. After William left a tragedy like child loss shakes your world so hard. And in some ways that's a good thing because a lot of the loose, silly stuff falls away. I'm not concerned with little things anymore. I'm not. And I also, and I don't know if it's a factor of, of who William was and who I am, but I, I, since he left, one of the ways I celebrate his life is by being more adventurous myself. Mm, um, yeah. Of course, it doesn't look like it would have if, if William had done it. He skydived before he went, he left. I'm not going to, well, I better not say that because God may get up and plane. But I, I, I'm, I'm willing to do things like this interview. This is so far outside my comfort zone. And sure. I'm willing to try things. You know, they asked me, will you play, do something in a play at church? I don't like to be on the stage, but I did it. We had a, we had a local group here called Trinity's Angels that used to minister to lost the, the parents of lost children. And they did a motorcycle rally every year. And I didn't, I heard about it the second year they were doing one. And my husband happened to be working on a friend's motorcycle. Well, the friend ended up, he couldn't ride the motorcycle because he had some wrist issues and he gave the motorcycle to my husband. Well, my husband had a learner's permit and I thought, oh, good. And I said, you should ride in this motorcycle rally, you know, cause it's for, you know, parents and this and that. And, I'm <laughs> and maybe two months before that rally came along, he got his full license. Now with your learner's permit on a motorcycle, you can't have a passenger. Your full license, you can have a passenger. So guess who ended up on the back of that uh -huh. motorcycle in that rally? Not only did I end up on the back of the motorcycle in the rally, but they asked me to speak at the rally. And I did. Um, oh. I've done lots of different things that would actually make William stand up and it probably make him grin from ear to ear. I have a, I have a turquoise streak in the, on the right side of my head that I, I put in there on purpose and it's, um, I'm not into inking, you know, a lot of people are into the tattoos things. I'm not, but the, the having the streak in my hair, because I never had one before and, and I, I wanted to do it for a long time, but COVID 
gave me the push because I was home for a long time. I could try it. It gives me an opportunity to bring William into the present because when people say, oh, I like that streak in your hair, I can tell them that that's in memory of my son, William, who, who passed in 2016. And I don't always share a whole lot of details. Sometimes I just say, well, it's in memory of my son, William. And uh, I do I do ride with my husband on the motorcycle, which gets gets a kick out of people I work with. <laughs> and uh, I, I just I, I'm willing to do things that I probably would not have done had it not been uh, for the loss we experienced. Right. Right. Well, that's so neat. I love to hear that that kind of story. And I can just imagine how much William enjoys <laughs> knowing that you guys are that that you are that you have become so adventurous yes. in his honor. I love that. Now, think about your relationship with God. A little bit of a different question. Think about your relationship with God before and now after. How has it changed and what have you learned about him? I walked with God for, I, I have walked with God since I was 27. It was 1988, January of 88, when I was saved. And um, I soaked up the, the word like a sponge for a long time. And I, I was active in the church in a great deal of the uh, Bible studies beforehand. Um, I was quiet, sat in the back. I prayed she wouldn't call on me. Uh, but in the process, I learned a lot. I and, and, and it was head knowledge, I mean, heart knowledge to the extent that I believed it and, and I trusted in it, but it was head knowledge. And um, when William died, there's a place beyond which no, no physical person can reach you. My husband and I are close, of course, this time thing. And of course, we've been through it more than once. It does. It, it, it'll either tear you apart or draw you closer. And we do, we do enjoy a close bond, but there's a place in the middle of the night when everybody's asleep, it's just you and the Lord. And that bond is deeper. It's, it's grown. The relationship is more intimate. And, and I, a lot of people, I, I think people have a hard time understanding that, but maybe I should have a hard time understanding it too, but there was no, there's no place else to go. He's, he's got my son and he's, I, I trust him. I've always said I trusted him. He's given me an opportunity to trust him. It's a it's a very hard place to live, but he makes it possible. And I always maintain a running dialogue with God, but it, it's changed since William left. It's it's more trusting in the past where something would come up and some obstacle or or, or some difficulty and it's, oh you know well I'm going to need help. We just didn't know. Now I sit back and I go well. <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see how you use this one because I don't I don't see where we're going with this. It, it's just a whole. It, it's a it's a different, deeper aspect of our relationship that I I didn't I I don't know that you could experience it outside of really harsh circumstances. Not necessarily the loss of a child, but but harsh circumstances. Hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think there are things we can learn about. God's character in suffering that we can never learn any other way. Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't like that, but I do believe that is the case. I do want to ask you this question, and particularly in light of the fact that today, as we are talking, is William's birthday. 
And at the time that this um, episode is aired, we're going to be kind of right in the middle of the holiday season. So how have you found or what kind of special ways have you found to honor William's life on his birthday or his heaven day or on the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, those kinds of things? What what have you found that works for you and your family? You know, it, it changes. I, I think it, because we are constantly changing, at least for me, tradition doesn't work for me because yeah. our traditions were wrapped up in, in all of our family. So it was either adopt new traditions or, or find a way, find a way through them. And I didn't want to just endure everything. So I tried to make an, a concerted effort to do something, do something. Don't, don't, don't just sit back and get up and do something. Now this particular instance I, I want to share is, is <laughs> it is amazing how God works. Two years ago, William's birthday, it fell on a Saturday. At the time I was in, involved and still am involved with uh, a ministry out out of our church. Um, it's now called Kingdom Kitchen. We we make lunches and we deliver them. Um, as a result of COVID, we could no longer have people come into a soup kitchen type environment. So we started making the lunches and taking them out into the neighborhoods. This particular Saturday, I was supposed to be there and it was William's birthday. And I didn't want to go. I just, I thought, well, I'm going to go anyway. And so I got there, I burst into tears before I even got in the building. I couldn't get out of the car. Finally sucked it up and went inside. Well, apparently because I post about William's birthday, usually early at that morning, people had seen the post. And so then starts the hugs, which starts more tears. And I, I it was just, it was hard. It, you know, every time I thought I had it under control, somebody mentioned it. And then here we go again. And I, I really, I love these people. I appreciate how much they really wanted to console me. Um, but it was a difficult day. It's always a difficult day. And uh, I, I just was putting one foot in front of the other, just doing the next step, just taking the next step. And there was a gentleman that worked with, in the ministry. His name is Travis. And he comes up and he says, Miss Leslie, are you going on the van with us today? And I looked at him. I said, Travis, I, I'm really not in any condition to be going out on a van delivering lunches. Five minutes later, Miss Leslie, you're going on the van, right? Travis, I told you, I'm, I'm really not. And the third time he gave me what I call the puppy dog eyes. Now, Travis is about the age William would be. And he said, Miss Leslie, are you going to go with us? Fine, Travis, I'll go with you. And I mean, he whooped it up like it was a big deal. Yeah. And so they, they cram me in the van. They tell me, you know, just all you got to do is ask them if they want to lunch. And I'm sitting in the front seat thinking, what am I doing in this van? <laughs> and we're, we're riding through a neighborhood. The, the route took about two hours, maybe more. And while we're riding through the neighborhood, somebody in the back of the van pops up and says, hey, does anybody lose an earring? Well, no, we hadn't lost an earring. So they're handing it up to the front. And when they get it up to the front and they lay it in, I don't know if it was the driver's hand or mine, it's a dragonfly. Now, there, we have a long history of dragonflies in our family. It started when my pa father passed. It continued when my mother passed. It, it's, it continued with my son too. And don't get me wrong, I don't think there are messages from William. The minute William saw the face of Jesus, he hasn't turned around. That's my opinion. He's had no reason to turn around. But they are messages from God that he's encouraging me. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. So here lays this earring that who knows how long it had been in the van. I didn't know. I'd, I'd never been in the van. So I stuck it in my pocket and I kept a hold of it. 
And I guess it was a week or two later, somebody came in to volunteer for the kitchen and she says, hey, did anybody find a dragonfly earring in the van? Well, I had held on to it because, like I said, dragonflies have I have a thing about those now. And I said, I've got it. And I pulled it out and I gave it to her and I and, and we were involved in in the kitchen service at the time. And I said, when we get a chance later, I need to talk to you about why it was important for me to find it that day. And I walked away. Well, one of the other girls went ahead and shared with her a brief history of what what it was about. And she shivered. And then she looked over at me and she called me over and she pulled her shirt back and there's a dragonfly tattooed on her back. And in, in there, what well, must've been writing, I couldn't see it because of my bifocals. She says, this is my son. He died 10 years ago. I think it was 10 years ago. Oh, so God wow. introduced me to another girl who I probably wouldn't have known about her loss if it hadn't been for the fact that I climbed on the van, which wouldn't have happened if I had sat at home on his birthday and just sat there and, and did nothing. And so that's why I, I try to get out and do something because I know that God's going to show up in it right. somewhere, somehow. And it was just amazing to be able to talk to her. Our, our sons were actually born the same year. Um, she lost hers 10 years before I lost mine, but it was just, it was amazing to be able, and, and I'd, I'd gone to church with her for a while, didn't know. And I, I find that quite often that, that a lot of people don't share. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly open with it and, and that's fine. You know, if you if you don't want to, that's, you know, if that's the way it works for you, that's the way it works. But it was, it was just, it, it all resulted in me getting up and getting out of that house because I knew I was supposed to. And so that's what I try to do. I try to find ways to just celebrate the fact that I did have him for 32 years. And I should, I should be at least grateful for that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes we have to look for those things to celebrate. But yeah, celebrating the, the time that we had with our kids is certainly one of those things. So in addition to your Joy in the Morning book, you've also written a devotional book called Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, again, Devotions, Grieving God's Way. And in the foreword to the reader, you state that you may not have a choice about when grief hits you or how hard, but you have a choice about what you do with it once it lands. You can build a wall or you can build a road. What did you mean by that? Um, part of that entry is, is I talked about how grief comes at you. It can come at you like a ton of bricks. Um, it can, you, sometimes it comes at you all at once. And sometimes it comes at you one brick at a time, just banging and banging and banging away from at you. And you, you can let it overcome you. It's really easy to give into it. And by, by falling prey to it, you build a wall around yourself and people, you wall out people, you wall out God. And, and you you find no comfort because you you've put a wall between everything that could possibly bring you comfort, and it's easy to do. And sometimes you do it, and you don't even realize you've done it until you find yourself looking at the wall. The better choice is to build a road, is to take each one of those and say, okay, yeah, it hurts, but you know what? I had this, I had that. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. And put that brick in the road and follow it to Jesus. It's the more strenuous of the two choices but it's the better one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure the more strenuous one, but yes, for sure also the better choice. I love how in this devotional you arranged the entries by length, and that was really intriguing to me. Why did you do that? 
when right after William died, people started bringing me books. They were good books, but there were months after he died that I could not read anything longer than five minutes. The Bible that I could do anything outside of that. I, I could not do it. And so when I started the, the grief devotional, I actually thought I was doing a, a, like a seven day booklet that could just be taken to when you when you went to someone's home right after their loss and you know God turned it into something else. But I couldn't when I started, I thought, well, I don't know what order to put these in because everybody's grief is different. They show you that nice little diagram that looks like this big, beautiful valley and grief, you know, steps are written. I said, well, for me, it felt like somebody dropped a ping pong ball in that valley and it just bounced up and down and around all the sides of that valley over and over and over. And I thought, I can't really put this in any type of timeline order. I can't, I can't put this in order for anyone because it didn't come in any kind of order for me. And so I got to thinking, well, if you're going to read this right after your loss, it's going to have to be short because you can't read your your attention span at least it was for me my attention span was shot i i couldn't i couldn't do anything so i arranged it shortest to longest because the further you get away from the initial tragedy the more your attention span will return or at least it did for me and so i arranged it so that at the beginning you didn't have very far to read to get some type of comfort encouragement and know, you know there there's hope and there's help and just hold on. Yeah, I loved that about the devotional. That is something I had never thought of before. I've seen lots and lots of devotionals related to grief, but I've never seen one where the entries were short at the beginning and got longer throughout the year. And in reading that forward and, and the explanation for that, I thought, oh, that makes perfect sense. Because like you, I could not take in much information at all, could not maintain focus to read for very long at all early on. And that's something that builds over time. So I mm -hmm. just love the way you arranged your devotional like that. So if somebody wants to get a copy of one or both of your books, how can they do that? Where can they find them? Yeah, all three, actually, all three of my books are available through Amazon. And uh, Morning Devotions and Selah are also available in ebook form. Uh, Join the Morning due to its length and a lot of issues that we haven't overcome yet, is still only available in print. But all three are available in print, and then Selah and Morning Devotions are also available in ebook form. Okay. All right. Well, I will put a link to where people can get those in the show notes so that if they want to get hold of them, that will make it easy for them. So one more question that I always like to ask, has music been helpful to you on your grief journey? And if so, what's on your playlist? Yeah, actually, um, well, as, as you're aware, I sign in our worship services in church. And music, and because I sign and because I'm an introvert, I, I'm more, I don't know how that works. It, it's kind of ironic, but I'm more apt to express myself when I sign. So worship is, is an integral part of me and, and music is an integral part of me. And it, yes, I, my, my entire playlist is made up of worship songs. Um, and, and it varies at times, the, the different songs we, I, I focus on. Um, I signed at William's funeral. I signed at Sherry's funeral as well. Now William's, the piece I did at William's funeral was Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. That was one of the current popular ones at the time. And it was picked by my niece, Madeline. Well, like we talked, 
decisions were not my friend at that time. And so I asked her to pick one. And so she picked that song and that's what we did. Sherry's song was actually picked by God. Um, Sherry died in a, in a very different way from William. We, we knew she was ill. It wasn't a very long illness. It turned septic and, and she passed, but we, we spent seven days in hospice with her. And when she passed, uh, I could tell from the monitors what was happening. And I, I grabbed my iPad and played music while she passed. And, and the song that paid, played was amazing. Grace, my chains are gone. And uh, I didn't pick it. I just picked it up, turned it on and, and hit it. And that's what came up when um, we didn't do her memorial right away because we were just all devastated and, and exhausted from her ordeal. And it was about a month, I think, later that, that they did it. And they asked me to participate in the service. And I said, well, I can, I can probably sign. And then I was like, I don't know what to sign. You know, I was like, Lord, you know, this, this is the way I, ex I express my, my grief is, is by, with my hands. And I said, I don't know what to sing. And so I pulled up Google and I think I typed in funeral worship songs or something. Anyway, amazing grace. My chains are gone right at the top of the list. I was like, okay, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so those two songs, of course, if I hear those now, I, I think of the kids there right now, there are some songs, same God throne room, another in the fire blessings, scars in heaven. There's also, there's a girl named Meredith Kenley who did a song called healing waters. And I don't remember which trip it was. It was one of the long trips where we had to go probably to William's apartment. I don't remember. I, I don't, there were so many trips back then. And she did a song in the song, um, healing waters. It, it's, it's available, I think, on Amazon or YouTube. I don't know. And part of the bridge, I think it is, says, come drenched me, come fill me, come find me in this valley. And she has a very wide vocal range. And she she sings this one line about let let your healing waters flow. And it literally, I, I we listened, I don't know how my husband put up with it, but we listened to it the entire ride. I just kept playing it over and over and over again because it, it really, it soothed my soul. It, it, it encouraged me. It comforted me to, yeah. to hear and be, be encouraged by this. And, and I've always been that way with music. I, I, in fact, I can't listen to it at night when I go to bed because I want to sing. Well, not sing, but I usually I want to sign, but I can't, I can't sleep with music. I, I can, yeah. I have to listen to it. Yeah. I'm a sign language interpreter as well, just in my church. And um, I just, uh, uh, like you, I can worship so much more uh, through sign than I can through singing. And um, it's just a beautiful way of expression. And uh, yeah, I love that. That's kind of a neat thing that we have in common. Yeah. So as we wrap up, I want to remind our listeners that today, as we are talking, is William's birthday. And in your book, you wrote an entry on October 31st, which was his 33rd birthday. And you said, praise God, he had another birthday. What did you mean by that? William was five years old when he asked the Lord to be his savior. And of course, we, we took him to church. And, and honestly, growing up, we didn't have any doubts about his, his salvation. Now, I will say that as an adult, he got disillusioned with the organized church. He walked away from, from religion, not God. He, he 
fully believed in God. He fully believed in his salvation. And I found something, and I think I wrote about it in the book. It was a big, long email that, and I think I found it on Christmas or some, I was looking for something else, but it, it soothed me a little bit. But in the early days, right after he died, because I knew he hadn't been walking with God, your heart hurts. And, and you, if you're not careful, you allow that little seed of doubt in. And his best friend from, from uh, his boyhood days was named Daniel. And Daniel, uh, I think he was in the National Guard at the time, and so he wasn't going to be able to make it to William's funeral. We had a lag time between William's death and his funeral because he had relatives overseas that needed to come in. And so he died August 23rd, but we didn't have his service until September 2nd. But uh, Daniel wasn't going to be able to make the service. So what he did was in the day or two after he, uh, after William passed, it might have been a couple of days, he and his wife drove down. They rented a Mustang, which would have thrilled William <laughs> to bits. Um, he's a bit of a car guy. But he, he drove down and they spent the day with us. We didn't necessarily sit around and talk about William. Um, at the time, we didn't have a whole lot to say because we really didn't know for, for a week or maybe two or three weeks actually what had happened to him. And uh, in, the, in the course of conversation, as they were getting ready to leave, we said, you know, we know you guys grew up in the church. You, you grew up together. We, we know you both accepted the Lord when you were young. So, but you know, when something like this happens, it makes you wonder, was that, was that really your his decision or did he just say that because he was in our house and it made us happy to hear him say that and daniel pipes up and he says oh i don't have a single doubt where that william is in heaven and it really sucks too because he got there first <laughs> and that was the first time i laughed since uh -huh. i really i honestly didn't even think i ever could and it, it just only daniel could could have done that for me and and it it comforted me too to know that that Daniel was assured, and Daniel would know, being being friends with him, not not being, you know, it, it, his approval didn't depend depend on on anything, or at least William wouldn't have seen it that way, like he might have seen it with us. And it's um, it it was an encouragement to me, and and it should be an encouragement to anybody whose child has walked away from the Lord. They they might have walked away from from what you see as worshiping God, but they the bonds hold, holds because the bond is held by Christ. It, it's not held by your child. And I also have a friend who um, was a nurse. I think she's retired now. I'm not sure. And she said, never ever doubt that something can happen even within the last few minutes of, of their lives. You don't know. So there's always hope. There's always hope that before anything happened, they, they made that decision or they reaffirmed that decision. And it, it just helped to know that, that I'm not the only one who's hoping he's in heaven. I, I know he, he made the decision. I heard him make the decision. It's based on God's word, not William's word. And it helped to hear that. And, and it, it's a comfort to me because this is not the end. And death is no longer, it, it's not something to be feared. It, it's a doorway it's a doorway into a better place, but I'm still here because there's still work mm -hmm. for me to do. And, um, that, that was what, what I meant by he had a, he had a second birthday, I guess a rebirthday. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. A rebirthday. Um, I wanted you to be able to share that before we closed because, um, I just think that's a very important thing for people to hear 
who may have some questions, who may wonder that they may be encouraged by William's story. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? It's about time to finish our conversation. Well, I just want to thank while we're waiting. Uh, when I first lost William, uh, somebody somebody sent me something from another of our mother-in-law's pages. I, that's I don't I didn't coin that phrase. Somebody coined it, and I can't find who did now. But it was another parent in loss who said. Who, who was sharing about grief brain, uh, Melanie Desimone, I think it was. Uh-huh. And through her site, I found, I found uh-huh. your site. Uh-huh. Yes. And uh-huh. I can't begin to say how, how important the, the while we're waiting community and, and the, um, the life I didn't choose community as well. I can't say how important it is to have a grief community specific to child loss. It is unlike anything else. I mean, there's a small comparison to other types of death, but there's really nothing that speaks to our pain as somebody else who's been here. And and it, it validates what you say because you've been here. And it's so, society is so fractured now. And, and of course, COVID didn't help. It's very difficult to get into community with other people. And right. it's difficult to find a safe place to vent because let's face it, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes this, this road gets tough and sometimes you got to let, you, you got to let steam off in a place where, where yes. you're going to be, you, you might be admonished, you know, depending on how you do it, but it's going to be in love and it's going to be an, an encouragement for you to move past the frustration and the anger and the resentment and the disappointment and the discouragement. And it's difficult to find that anywhere these days. And that's why I think groups like while we're waiting are so important. We've got to be able to, to reach out to each other. And it's really, it's part of being a parent in loss is being able to turn around and say, it's okay. I've made it this far. You can make it this far. It's a breath at a time. Sometimes it is literally a breath at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's why the that's why I think while we're waiting is important because there are times where I I I don't surf the net a lot. I do go on Facebook occasionally, and there will be a question that somebody pops up with, and I'll go, I I think I know the answer to that one, and I'll just share something. And the next time I look, there's like six or seven people who have liked or or thumbed up or or hearted the the comment, and all I did was comment from my own experience. But people need to hear that. People need to hear this experience. And places like while we're waiting, provide that opportunity. And that is so important because we don't have the generational structure that we used to have. We don't live with our parents, our grandparents. They don't live close in a lot of cases. And it's difficult. It's difficult to find that support system that will help you keep on track and keep moving and growing and and just moving forward so you don't get stuck. So that that's, so I wanted to thank while we're waiting and other organizations um, like that, but especially while we're waiting in the life I didn't choose are the two, or I think her group, Heartache and Hope, I think is her group online. But those two organizations have been, and, and honestly, at first I didn't, I didn't do a lot of reading because I didn't want to blend other people's experiences in with mine. I, I did, I, I waited a while and let everything percolate down 
until I could I could accept where I was. And that's perfectly okay. That the website is good for people who just need to get on. And and it's different. It's different because when we lost Sherry, we lost her a whole different way. And, uh, William was like being smacked with a two by four. Sherry was like having my nails pulled out one at a time. I mean, we literally sat in the hospital for a week hearing doctors say, we don't know why we're still here. Yes. And we kept telling them, I told them, I said, well, because we're not done. There's obviously something that needs to be done. And with Sherry, it was those seven days were opportunities for all of her heart sisters is what we call them. They were, they were, they dormed together in, in college. They had took family photos together. These were her heart sisters, even though they weren't related by blood, they all needed time to come in and tell her goodbye, but it was a different way. And so with her, I didn't have a problem sharing because I, I, I grieved for a week. We grieved for a week before, before she left us to go to heaven. But it, I, I was able to share at that point where, where with William, it was so right. sudden and so painful. Yes. I, I, I needed time. But even in that time, I, I had the opportunity. There were resources available. And it's, it's, these imp- resources are important while we're waiting is important because that's, that's where you're going to find the comfort and encouragement you need to continue on in your walk with Christ. Yes, and those when you mentioned while we're waiting and um, Melanie D. Simone's Facebook group also, those are private closed Facebook groups for specifically for bereaved parents. And I will put links to those in the show notes as well. Um, both of those are great communities. Like you said, you know, we can't always, uh, we're not always able to come to an in-person group or, or be physically with other bereaved parents, but those private Facebook groups, you can go on there any time of day or night and get support and get encouragement and have somebody pray for you. And um, so that's, that's really helpful. And I appreciate you saying that. So thank you. And thank you for coming on and being my guest today on this special day, William's birthday. I just appreciate you being willing to spend part of this day with me. And I know you look at it kind of as a way that you can honor William's life on this special day. Yes, it, it, it is. He would have been 39 today. There would have been a lot of jokes, a lot of poking at his gray hair. <laughs> 39. Yeah, yeah and, and that was the age that I stopped. I, I, don't, I didn't count after 39, so I would have been teasing him about being the same age as his mother. <laughs> so, although now, yeah. given, given the lovely frosting on the, on the cake of my yes. hair, I probably can't. <laughs> I wouldn't do that anymore, but it was just a running right. joke. It was a running joke in the family. But yeah, it, it, sure. Yeah. And and we, we used to celebrate with cake and ice cream. Even when he wasn't here, we would call him up and say, we're having cake and ice cream. Sorry, you couldn't make it. That that we haven't done that lately. Right. But this was a good way right. to, to do it. But there's usually some type of event going on at the church that we can we can do, but it just it hasn't felt like the one thing to do this year. And so when this popped up, I, I knew it was from God. And honestly, with, with all the opposition we had, I, I'm certain it was it was definitely from God. And I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and honor his memory this way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You've, you have honored his memory beautifully today. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please take just a moment to leave a rating or a review, and please feel free to share it with someone you know who might be helped by it. 
We're so grateful for all of you who come back and listen every week, and those of you who may be listening for the very first time. I hope God has used it to encourage you today and to help you live well while you're waiting.